Welcome to the latest edition of Steelcast. The spread of the coronavirus has affected families, businesses and societies across the globe. The steel industry has no immunity from that. Now they say that calm seas don't make skillful sailors, so maybe all the troubles the steel industry has had over recent years should have prepared us better than most. My name is Tim Rutter and each week I'll be speaking to some of those people responsible for navigating us through some of the most turbulent waters any of us have ever seen. In recent weeks we've chatted with Martin Brunnock, the Hub Director of Upstream Operations at Llanwyn and Patalbert, which feeds pretty much every other Tata Steel UK site. In week two we caught up with Joe Gallagher at Trostra, home of packaging steels, which is so important to the national food chain. And last week we spoke with Bill Duckworth at Shotton, where construction products are playing a fundamental role in some of the new emergency healthcare building products. This week we visit Corby, home of Tata Steel's UK tube mills. Now Corby was once one of the UK's largest integrated steelworks constructed in the 1930s by Glasgow-based Stuarts and Lloyds. It quickly became home to many thousands of Scots who migrated south in the steel rush, earning the town the name Little Scotland. According to a census, by 1961 a third of Corby's population had been born in Scotland. Of course it was devastating for the town when about 10,000 people lost their jobs as large parts of the works were closed in 1979. But the site has managed to continue as a bespoke tube mill home to around 500 steel workers supplying tubes and hollow sections for applications as broad as yellow goods, agricultural goods, lamppost trailers, air conditioning systems and, and as we learn more about later, hospital beds. So joining us today on Steelcast is Corby's Works Manager Gary Blackman. Gary, a very warm welcome to you. Good afternoon Tim. Gary, now you're another lifer in the steel industry, you've been around uh, like many of us a long time, you joined straight from school. You must have been through some uh, pretty tough times in your career already, but uh, I guess nothing quite like this. Yeah, so thanks, Tim. Um, you're right, I left school at 16 and joined um, British Steel straight afterwards. And uh, I think on the first day there, some um, one of the operational guys said to me, you've made a mistake here, kid. Um, <laughs> this industry will be shut in a year. Um, so obviously the tough times predated me starting um, yeah. as well. But it's been a bit of a roller coaster since then. There's been some highs and, and some lows. And when I think back to the merger with Hoogerbans and the Tata takeover, um, they all came with the associated reorganizations, asset closures, um, redundancy programs. Yeah. And then um, the financial crisis of 2008, where steel demand just plummeted, as did the whole economy. Um, and we're actually using the data from the 2008 financial crisis to do some scenario planning because that's probably the closest economical impact that we have um, in the recent history. Yeah, and they hit the whole world at the same time. That's right, yeah. And then um, obviously I've come from Scunthorpe, so I lived through the divestment of long products. Yeah. Um, and that was a genuine sale or shut edict from the business. Mm. Um, fortunately, we did find a buyer, but again, it came with um, pretty difficult reorganization, some asset closures and quite hard redundancy programs. Um, so, yeah, there have been plenty of tough times, but absolutely nothing quite like this. The scale and reach of this current crisis is like nothing else we've ever seen. Yeah. But what I would say, despite all those tough times, the stimulus or the root cause of all those problems vary over time, but the response is always the same. And it, it never fails to amaze me when I see the resilience of the steelmaking community. Mm. Um, after all that, you might expect them 
their shoulders to drop or them to chuck the towel in and get disillusioned. Mm. But in fact, it's the exact opposite. So it's that kind of resilience that make, makes this industry, make me proud to work in it. Yeah, and, and you talk about that steel community and for, for, for most of the steel sites, that's not just the, the, the sort of direct employees, it's the contractors, it's the, it's the families around the sites. You get a real sense of sort of fighting a common enemy, don't you, at times like this? You certainly do. So I think it's probably one in six. So for every one person the steel industry employs, there's six associated. So it's a it's a huge community, if you like. Mm. And uh, Gary, remind uh, the listeners about Corby and, and the sort of products it makes. It's quite a uh, it's quite unique, I guess, left in the UK now as does Hartlepool, which does the, the pipes, obviously. But in terms of the tube products, Corby's quite unique. And I mentioned some of the markets earlier. Tell us a bit more exactly, a bit more detail about the products that Corby's making and the sectors it's serving at the moment. OK, so we have four tube mills here on site in Corby, two hot mills, two cold mills. And we'll make approximately 280,000 tonnes in a year, uh, both hot and cold formed. And these will go to a, a vast array of end applications. I mean, I've only just been here just over a year and I learn every week something new about the places where our tubes are being used. Yeah. But primarily, they, uh, they go into the construction and engineering sectors. So a few examples might be the large warehouses, the Amazons of this world that you see popping up all yeah. up and down the country, uh, the larger supermarket stores, Tesco's, Asda's, They'll use our hollow section for those buildings. Um, a lot of the motorway gantries and footbridges will be Corby tubes. Um, we've recently supplied steel for Manchester Airport Terminal 2 upgrade and into the London Underground and yeah. Crossrail. Yeah. Uh, that will be for fire suppression systems down on their network. Um, so I guess from commodity tube that makes farmers gates to high quality Celsius tubes that goes into ski lifts and um, <laughs> crane booms, um, Corby tubes everywhere. Yeah. You could do a whole podcast on Corby tube applications. <laughs> save that for another day. Well, we'll save that for another day. But I guess uh, the word tubes may be a bit of a misnomer in that in large proportion of your sales are these rectangular hollow sections. So people might be imagining everything that you come comes out of Corby as being round, but that's not the case, is it? It was a misconception I brought to Corby with me when I started. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you've got some really nice branded products in there, which which must uh, add some value through the chain. But, you know, when I look across the markets that you supply and I compare Corby with some of the other sites that we have within Tata Steel, you know, you've got your fingers in a lot of pies, as we might say. And. Does that, does that sort of negate the risk that you have in difficult times? Or, you know, if you were an automotive-specific site and the automotive market has tanked, you're in, you're in trouble. But with so many different sectors, does, does that make Corby a, a, a more secure place or more stable place in such uncertain times? Well, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, to be honest, Tim. I mean, diversity of product is both a blessing and a curse. You, you only have to talk to our mill operators when they're on their seventh or eighth size change in the week yeah. um, to understand the downsides of that. But you're right, it does have its advantages of not having all your eggs in one basket, like um, automotive, like you mentioned. And we also get some upside from geographical diversity as well as product diversity. So Southern Europe obviously closed first, but Northern Europe and Scandinavia um, activities remained um, at quite high levels. And 
now now it seems to be affecting northern europe and scandinavia starting to affect that mm. we're starting to see some southern european um manufacturing businesses open so both in a product and geographical diversity point of view um corby does benefit in that way but we're not completely unaffected tim we're, our order book as we stand now is down about 40 percent yeah obviously with the country in lockdown mm. non-essential projects get paused non-essential goods just aren't made at all mm. um, so we're definitely feeling the effect of COVID-19 but I like think when we come out the other side uh, Boris will follow through on his national spending plans um, HS2 roads bridges yeah. and uh, this will obviously stimulate demand for both construction and engineering steels yeah it's an interesting point and it was something I was going to come on to about uh, you know how much of your products could be affected by a sort of public procurement policy uh, given that lots of it goes into kind of smaller engineering stuff is is that an important aspect of your your business model and when we come out of the pandemic do you think customers are going to be looking for more local suppliers rather than international suppliers um so on this local supply i do think that people will um will prefer to buy locally i mean everything's dictated on the price but with the uncertainties of exports and I mean, Brexit was the biggest issue we had two months ago. Yeah. Um, it seems like a distant memory, but with all those sort of things, I think people will look to um, procure locally um, rather if they can, yeah. if, there's a, if there's a choice. And um, I, I think the, the things like HS2 and bridges, although we don't make rails and things like that it's the infrastructure around that it's all the gantries that go over it the signage the the offices and all that kind of stuff it just stimulates more and more um, construction and engineering demand um, outside of the actual rails that they'll put down yeah and and, and i guess um that whilst there's opportunities there is very difficult to put too much pressure on the government when the supply chains for for products like those are so long, aren't you? So, so you're so far away from the, the sort of the, the public purse, if you like, it's quite difficult to have some influence from the government in some of those uh, those things. So you, you're down to sort of a lead time, quality and price uh, debate, aren't you? It is, yes. And there's also bodies like UK Steel that get together with, because we do make rail in this country yeah. and, and the buy British and the British procurement policy and all these things that are being pushed um, from a group level. Um, will obviously trickle down and help Corby. Yeah, yeah. And Gary, recently um, there's been lots of interest about steel being an essential industry and some of the supply chains we are uh, supporting, you know, whether that's construction or can, can, uh, steel for canned food and so forth. And Corby's got his own stories to tell in, in, in that uh, sphere as well, not only for supplying products for these emergency care buildings, but uh, here even hospital beds. Uh, tell us a bit more about how Cor Corby is supporting the national need. Yeah, so that's right, Tim. I mean, when Boris made his announcement, um, it seems like a long time ago now, yeah. there, there wasn't quite a lot of confusion around who was an essential worker. Yeah. Um, and we quite quickly cleared that confusion up. And I think everyone now who works here, it's crystal clear to them that Corby is um, playing a vital role in the national response. Yeah. It's been well publicised that we've recently supplied steel for the uh, manufacture of 500 beds for the new Nightingale Hospital. And it could be that that demand rises over and above 4,000. Um, wow. But what might not be so well known is that we're also supplying steel to support the infrastructure for the Nightingale Hospitals. Mm. 
although they're being set up in established buildings, the infrastructure isn't there to run them as hospitals. So we're providing material that's going into portable accommodation for the nurses and doctors in portable offices for them to run their operations out of. Mm. And in fact, one customer making these portable buildings has contacted us a couple of times for reassurance that we're going to stay open because um, they're that busy. Yeah. And it's an important message. I know many people have seen the open letter from Alok Sharma and the government uh, just confirming the importance of the manufacturing industry in the UK and 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 willing it to stay open and keep running for for just those reasons. And uh, I think it's important for the for the for the workers in our company to realise that the role they're playing, and actually, you know, for for general society and the government to realise what anchor industry steel is and. You know, it's not the sort of industry you, you open up and shut down from one day to the next. And you know, whether this goes on for a long time or a short time, there's still a role for, for Corby and the other sites around the UK in, in some of these fundamental projects. So, I, and that's you know, right. And, and I have shared that message from the Secretary of State with the uh, workforce here because he has reiterated twice that it's important to keep the, uh, the economy going and the supply chains moving. Um, it's vital to support the NHS, yes, but protect the economy as well. Yes, it is. And I think the debate has moved on, hasn't it, really? You know, the, yes, there's still a health crisis. We all understand that. But people are starting to say, well, you know, when we come out of the other side of this, what state is the economy going to be in? Because the economy is the piece that, that actually will pay for the NHS for the next, you know, 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 years. And if you haven't got a strong economy but based on some fundamental businesses, then, then we're going to struggle to pay off the debt, let alone the growth in what we'll need. So it's a really, really interesting debate. And I'm sure we could we could talk much further about it but uh, I know you're conscious you're a very busy man but also conscious Gary that um, in, in Corby like so many other sites you've got extraordinary people and it doesn't take a crisis necessarily to bring out some extraordinary people but you know I, kn- I know I'm going to ask you to tell a story uh, about one of your guys who's, who's not only be you know furloughed it's unfortunate when people are furloughed um, but it's a, it's a necessity at the moment uh, across our industry whilst the orders are lacking. But what those people choose to do while they're furloughed, some are doing some extraordinary things and, and no less in Corby. Yes, that's right. So uh, it's amazing, really. So even when the chips are down and life's tough, people still find the time and energy to um, help others. Um, so I guess once you're furloughed, it must be very tempting to put your feet up and relax and... Um, take it easy for a few weeks but um, one of our employees I won't embarrass him by naming him but on day one of being furloughed day one um, he rang up to see if we would support him in his endeavours to supply masks to the NHS and the local um, care homes in the area um, which of course we wanted to so we we had a management whip around we also invited him on site um, to use our 3D laser printer as yeah. well as his, so he could um, he could make more. And um, if anyone does want to contribute to that excellent cause, he does have a Just Giving page, and it's been circulated uh, amongst the company. But that's just one example of, of many of the steel heroes, as we like to call them, yeah. and how they're reacting to this crisis. We've also, at a time when it is in, immensely difficult to get hold of janitorial products and PP and stuff like that. We have managed um, to give a bit out. So we've given 100 litres of hand sanitizer to Kettering General Hospital, a very precious commodity these days. Yes, indeed, yeah. 
60 pairs of disposable overalls and some safety glasses to East Midlands Ambulance Service that had ran out yeah. and were struggling to get some more. Yeah. And also we, um, we held an Easter raffle and the proceeds of that have gone to a local mine charity, which I think is quite pertinent right now. Yes, um, it is. And yeah. I think we should be extra vigilant uh, towards people's mental health and well-being um, yeah. at this strange time. Yeah, I, and I think you hit, you hit the nail on the head there, Gary. You know, this whole perception that, you know, either working from home or being furloughed it is an easy option, is a real anathema. And I think it's ex extremely difficult people working from home. Uh, you know, long hours, running difficult ergonomic environment, and, uh, difficult lack of social interaction and so forth. So, yeah, it's hard. It's hard being on the plant, but uh, it's hard being at home and it's hard being furloughed in a very different environment. So your mental health issues are, are absolutely key, I think. And, uh, but, it, you know, your stories remind us that we have extraordinary people across the steel industry and uh, great, great to hear those stories of individual support and the, the, the national national needs so. and now uh, getting back in terms of how you're managing your business in such times Gary uh, you know with markets in such a state of flux is that pushing you and your sales teams to find you know, new markets in other parts of the world or or even to fill lines with products that may not have quite have the same value as before or uh, you know how are you modeling the site for for lower volumes or, or are you going for for keeping the lines full so we have a we have a short-term um, plan which has two clear objectives um, first we are trying to ensure that we have a safe workplace where we minimize any unnecessary spread of the virus mm. and secondly to try and ensure continuity of operations and that's really to minimize the long-term impact that this will have on the business mm. um, now them two objectives don't naturally go hand in hand so it's been a significant effort by everyone to to get to a place where we are now where I think in the main, we're, we're achieving both. Mm. I mean, I said earlier, we are impacted, we're 40% down. And um, unfortunately, we haven't managed to recruit alternative orders. Mm. We've had to turn to the uh, more negative, um, if you like, action of downshifting. Mm. And uh, more recently, putting 20% of our workforce on this furlough scheme. Mm. Um, now, that is an important access to cash. So everyone understands we do need to do it. And to a man or woman, everyone took it very professionally. Mm. They didn't take it as a slight on their work or their character. Mm. They saw it as that was their contribution, bringing in cash to the business. So I have to say thank you to everyone who we put on furlough yeah. and for the professional way that they've um, they've taken that. Um, I would also like to say that downshifting and furloughing couldn't be done without um, close collaboration with the TUs. Yeah. Now. I don't think they'll mind me saying that we don't always see eye to eye on everything <laughs> with the TUs, um, and maybe neither should we. No. But I'm sure that's because from a high level, we share the same two objectives, a safe workplace for their members and a business to come back to. That's so right. um, we've worked hand in hand with the unions throughout this process. And the whole team has pulled together the unions, the home workers, the people still here. And that, there's a view here that it's going to be significantly easier to win this battle as one battle mm. with 500 people mm. rather than 500 individual battles. There's a, so there's a real team spirit here at Corby at the minute. Yeah, and I think that's uh, reflected around the patch. I think uh, it's what you mentioned right at the beginning about this steel family and this, you know, uniting against a common enemy. And you know, point about you know coming out of this the other side and being stronger. And, you know, that sense of um, 
you know, being the guardians of an industry. I, mean, I don't know if it's special to the steel industry. We always think it is, but you know, guardians of the industry and passing it on to the next generation is hugely powerful in terms of motivating employees. And you know, it's good to hear the spirit is is still strong there. Now, I guess another part of your you know supply chain in the UK, Gary, is your feedstock that comes up from from South Wales from the hub. You know, with with demand kind of fluctuating up and down, that must be quite a difficult uh, difficult thing to manage through the supply chain. How's how's that going? So they're performing commendably, Tim, if I'm honest, yeah. um, considering the challenges they also face. I mean, we all know assets like coke ovens and blast furnaces don't really lend themselves to be switched off and switched back on again yeah. at the drop of a hat. So they've had to find um, creative ways to keep um, their operations going. Yeah. And from a Corby supply perspective, in fact, we're enjoying quite a good period of coil supply yeah. um, good coil coverage good coil precision um, so I, I can only take my hat off to all those working in the hub in the supply chain in logistics and um, because they're also pay, playing a very big part of the Corby response yeah that's good to, that's good to hear and it's good that uh, across the UK those things are joining up even even when things are so difficult I know talking to Bill Duckworth last week he had to put up with floods not so long ago uh, let alone viruses so uh, it does get very tricky for many different reasons that uh, but Gary I guess you know things are very different at the moment aren't they and as I guess a customer focused plan part of your annual plan will be about uh, you know having improvement plans transformation plans new product development that sort of stuff is all that on hold now until until we're out the other side of this so it's a strange time tim because this time of the year we'd normally have town hall sessions and we'd be stood up in front of our workforce and we'd be reviewing the year gone by and introducing this year's annual plan and transformation plan and clearly that won't happen or at least not in the form we, we would normally do it but yes we do have a new annual plan and it's a strong annual plan and it sees another huge step forward for Corby towards our aim of being um, sustainably profitable. Mm. And we also have an improvement plan. And I can honestly say it is transformational in mm. every sense of the word. Yes, there's going to be COVID-19 delays to that, but it will happen. Yeah. And when it, when it does happen, we will be a, a leaner, fitter, much more efficient plant and one that can um, sustain all weather um, conditions but it hasn't all stopped uh, on product development for example our technical team in tubes are flying the flag for the company on um, new ways of working and agile methodology um, so they're bringing new products to market faster than ever before wow. and, and we obviously continue to invest in our people um, we're looking at the sustainable operational excellence that's been rolled out in other areas of the business yeah um, for, for a, bit, a cultural change. And we're looking for some government support on that, but it doesn't always have to cost. And sometimes we just need to concentrate on our strengths because if, if I wanted to train a workforce to be resilient and flexible and open to change, it would yeah. cost them a fortune. <laughs> yeah. But we've already realized we, we have that already. So, so maybe the, the task is, is to harness those strengths and use them for um, pushing improvements rather than for battling through um, crisis. Yeah, and that's that's great to hear that that uh, you know everything not on hold and that we that we have got our eyes open and our heads up and our look into the future because you know I think we're all pretty pretty hopeful and confident that uh, we'll get out of it and maybe to learn to have learned some lessons along the way no matter how painful it is now. 
very conscious of your time, Gary. And I know Corby has a you know a long and proud history in the UK steel industry. I know all the people you've got there will be straining every sinew to make the the very best of the bad situation until things improve. And you know, I hope they're taking a great deal of pride in the in the products they're making that are so important uh, for the for the nation at its time of need. And you know, your markets and your the business there starts to see signs of recovery sooner than later. But you know, in the meantime, I guess we, on behalf of all of us, we wish you the best of luck uh, over the coming weeks and months. Uh, we'll be watching your progress with great interest and uh, have our fingers crossed for you, Gary. Thank you, Tim. So another fascinating insight into the daily battles of one of the UK's iconic steel towns, Corby, as the industry manages its way through the pandemic. Gary Blackman, works manager there for a little over a year, is having to navigate the site's way through fast-changing market dynamics while keeping the plant stable and its people safe and on board. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, why not subscribe to Steelcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. See you next time when we delve into another part of one of the UK's longest standing and most essential industries.